Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to remind you about what is happening here in the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus has been teaching the disciples and those who are listening and been teaching through the use of parables. And those parables uh, have a lot to teach us about God's economy. Also have a lot to teach us about the realm of God because Jesus has begun all of these parables by saying the kingdom of God will be like this. Wow, this is what we're learning. And I want to remind you about parables. Jesus used them to teach, and parables are often intended to be confusing in order to surprise the listeners, or to challenge the listeners, or to confront the listeners. Now, many people who hear this parable have wanted it to be an allegory. And by that I mean um, a story in which the characters in the story are actually intended to represent something or someone in particular. So in this case, in this parable, if it is in fact intended by Jesus to be an allegory, then the master of the household is God, and the servants are us, right? Of course, if that is the case, then how do we deal with the final sentence of the parable? The master says to the third servant who had buried the valuable coin, and oh, I know, we call them in other translations talents, and let me just say a little something here about that. So the issue of coins and talents are that the coins that were left with the servants were actually an unimaginable amount of money. Uh, one coin, a year's wage. So this master, this boss, this um, ruler was actually entrusting a great deal to these servants. And, and in other translations, we hear them called talents, which was a, a term for a, um, a monetary term at that time. But, you know, in contemporary America, we like to translate this as uh, gifts, talents. You know, some people can sing, and some can play the piano, and some can dance, and some are really smart, and others are gifted with uh, resources. I mean, everybody has different gifts, as we talked about in the children's message. But really, I think talking about it as the coins helps us to confront our own economy, our own economy of living, and how we understand how resources are divided. So I say that little bit as an aside to remind us that we're, we're listening to a very, very ancient story. It has a lot of different implications that we may not notice. So back to this story being an allegory. If, in fact, God, the, the, the master of the house is God and the servants are us, then how do we reconcile this last sentence? This last sentence in the story where the master says to the third servant who had buried the valuable coin, now take the worthless, this worthless servant and throw him out into the farthest darkness where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Is this how we imagine God? Is this how we imagine God deals with us? 
No doubt there are some who do. There are some who preach that this is how God deals with us. There are so many, many other things to consider in this parable. Notice the sentence the master offers to us after the master has divvied up the coins, the valuable coins. This is what the parable says. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. So he's given one servant ten coins and one servant five coins and one servant two, one coin, right? Or something like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, but listen, it, according to the parable, the, the master recognizes that they have different abilities. And so gives them each according to their ability, which is a pretty compassionate thing, don't you think? And in fact, in our Thursday night prayer and conversation group, we had one of our participants point out that if you, if you consider the master from the point of view of being a parent, parents also look at their children. And they see that one has certain abilities and the other has different abilities and the third has different abilities. I think that's a pretty compassionate look at this. So this master of the house is not randomly giving valuable coins to his servants, as we might imagine, but giving according to an assessed ability of each. Now, doesn't that somehow change how we hear this parable? And if this is the case, then why does the master get so angry with that one servant who buried the valuable coin? The third servant didn't squander the money. He didn't lose the money. He kept it safe. And in fact, handed back to the master exactly what was his in the first place. So why does the master get so very angry? I don't know about you, but maybe it's because that third servant said to the master, you know, you're you're not a very nice person. You you don't, you know, you expect things and and then it makes it bad for all of us and and I'm a little bit afraid of you. Is that how it works? Could it be that the third servant has called out the master of the house for how he treats servants? Could it be that um, this master is uh, punishing the third servant for speaking truth to power? And that's how we would act, right? Somebody calls us out, we would retaliate. Okay, if this parable is really an allegory and we are placing God in the character of the master of the house, then how does that square with you? How then do we imagine God to be? And what about what I consider the most challenging part of this parable? The master says to those present, Therefore take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has ten coins. Those who have much will receive more, and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't much sound like the God I know. 
How does this sit with our understanding and imagination of God as caring for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized? What about Jesus who preached not just a few chapters ago, blessed are the poor? How does that uh, stand over and against the teaching from the Gospel of Luke that says from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required? And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. Which is it? You see, interestingly, I wonder if Jesus is trying to point out that how we imagine God to be is how we receive God. What you see is what you get. And so perhaps this parable is inviting us to examine closely all the pictures of God that we have harbored all the years of our lives. All the imaginings of God that we have carried around with us day after day. All of the imagining of God that we revert back to when things don't quite go the way we intended. So let's take some of the challenges we found in this parable and place them in a lens over our current life circumstances. First, I don't need to tell you, we live in a divided country. You know that from the election we've just been through. It would seem, given our election, that our country is split right down the middle, split regarding our beliefs and values, and given that, it is easy for us to see each other as enemies. Now, before I go on, I, I, want, I have to say this, that we cannot soften the demand of the gospel to love God and neighbor at this time. In other words, using violence and threats to get one's way is not loving God and certainly not loving neighbor. Using words to separate and divide is not loving God and not loving neighbor. Spreading anti-Semitism, mocking the disabled, practicing misogyny, the hatred, dislike, and distrust of women, supporting homophobia and transphobia, hating immigrants and people of other faiths are not loving God and loving neighbor. We need to hold to the truths of the gospel. But I think the point that I'm trying to make here is that just like the master in the story we have tendency to assess others' gifts and graces, to judge others' gifts and graces, which if we just assess those gifts and graces, it's not so bad. But if we judge them, it creates problems when we hold people to those places to which we have relegated them. This is the seed from which the deep injustices of our nation and our world are born, especially if we are called out for it. We are left with our judgments. And the question then has to be, how are we imagining God? I assure you that how we imagine God impacts us. If we imagine God as the master we see at the end of the parable, taking all from the third servant and giving it to the one who has everything and then casting that servant out into the darkness. That ensures that is how we think God will deal with us. And perhaps more importantly, how we want God to deal with those who are different from us, the people we don't like, who, we lo who, who, 
the people who think differently than us, who love differently than us, the, who have a different color skin, have differences in what they value than us. On the other hand, <coughs> if we are able to imagine God as the master at the beginning of the story, who entrusts the servants with inordinate wealth, then perhaps we are able to see God as loving us. And perhaps more importantly, even loving those who are different than we are. So what do we make of all of this? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is going to teach one more parable and then turn to Jerusalem and his death. Perhaps Jesus, like every good rabbi, is trying to confound his listeners in order to get them to ask important questions. This week in my class at Bright Divinity School, we welcomed Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes, who is a pastor <laughs> at Galileo Church in Mansfield, Texas. And she implored us, saying, we need to stop talking about process in our churches right now. We need to stop talking about how do we do this video and how do we do this and how all of those are important things and we need to do them with excellence, she says. But what we really, as pastors and congregational leaders, need to do is start asking important meta questions, big questions. Like, how are we going to care for all the people who are coming to us online? How do you care for people? How do you offer them baptism and Holy Communion? How do you bury their dead and bless their born, newly born? How do you grow them spiritually? These are the big questions we need to be asking. And what does it mean to be the church online? Because it's not enough, she said. It is not enough just to worship online on Sunday or whenever else you can during the week. That's not enough to be the church. The church is called to so much more. We need to ask ourselves, how are we going to be the church now and when we gather again in person, because we will. But how are we going to be the church when we have people all over the country and some in other countries worshiping with us? Perhaps Jesus knew that unless he could get his disciples to think outside the box, to consider the meta questions, the big questions, what is really important, who God is, how God loves, how we love, they would never survive what was coming at them. For now, though, we need to anchor this parable in the context of the narrative of Jesus' ministry. Jesus tells this parable, perhaps, just the days before he will give his life on the cross, not as a substitute or a surrogate to be punished in our place, but rather as testimony to just how far God will go to communicate God's love to us and to all the world. It seems to me that if we are ever going to be bring about the beloved community, the koinonia, the kingdom of God, it is important for us to recognize some important truths. I gave it to you in the children's message. Everyone gets gifts. No one gets all the gifts. We need all the gifts in order to bring about God's realm. 
and how we help others discover and grow their gifts is a testament to how we imagine God. And I just can't help but wonder if Jesus told us this parable to get us to consider who we imagine God to be. Do we imagine God primarily as an enforcer of rules? And do we get hung up by the legalism of religion? Do we visualize God as stern and prone to punishment and so come to believe that everything bad in our lives is punishment from God? Do we see God as arbitrary and capricious and that's what we experience, a fickle and unsympathetic God? On the other hand, do we view God primarily in terms of grace? And so we're surprised and uplifted by the numerous gifts and moments of grace we experience all around us. I'll wager this. How we imagine God to be is how our lives are shaped and how the lives of others are impacted by our lives. And perhaps, just perhaps, it is not about us imagining God. What if it's about God imagining us For teaching parables like this and challenging his followers and religious and government officials, Jesus was crucified. And just in case we miss or underestimate that message, God raised Jesus on the third day to make sure we got it right. That we might know that love and life are stronger and more powerful than death. And that's how much God wants us to know of God's love for us. And this is the God we proclaim. Years ago, before I went to seminary, I was taking a class at my church. I don't remember what the title of the class was or even who taught it. I do remember a few people who were in the class. At our first class, we were given paper and Crayolas and um, map colors and markers and invited to draw our picture of God. Now, that's a lot easier for kids to do than it was for us. But I want you to think about that for a moment. How would you draw a picture of God today? Some of us drew pictures of nature, while others drew pictures of family, and a few pictures that mimicked Michelangelo's image of God atop the Sistine Chapel. Only one among us did an abstract picture that was simply light. When we asked her about her picture, she explained that she was an electrical engineer. Consequently, she perceived God as all energy. The power of her imagination washed over every one of us. A God who is light and love and grace abounding and who will let us imagine all we want, but who also imagines us as that light and love and the possibility of a new realm, a new world, a new hope, always a new beginning. Let us use our gifts 
And oh, by the way, for me, that's what is worth being grateful for. Amen.